advisors want to build a scalable practice, but aren't always sure what to do next. Welcome to Outcomes, the podcast designed to help advisors think, make decisions, and cast a vision to create a business for the future. Here's your host, Ross Marino, financial planner, author, speaker, and CEO of Advisor2x. Welcome to Outcomes the Podcast. Today I am joined by Christy Baker with CSI Advisory. Hello, Christy. Hello, Ross. Great to be here. I just learned your firm is part of a very select group of six different firms. What is that group? Yeah, our practice started back in 1971, and this is our 50 year anniversary. And there are six other advisory practices that have been around as long as we have, according to NAPA's uh, top DC advisory teams. That's a long time ago. Um, I was not in the business back then. Um, neither were you. Uh, however, like me, you did enter the business rather young. And back then, the 401k world, it was really different than what it's like today. Can you talk about those early days of the 401k world? Oh, yeah, I can. I've been part of the practice now for about 28 years. And thinking back to when I started and the way we worked on 401ks is very different than where we are today. Uh, they were still relatively new. Uh, products were limited. As a matter of fact, it was not uncommon for us to use individual variable annuities uh, for each individual participant, and uh, they would get three investment choices. They'd get a guaranteed fund, they'd have a fixed income fund, and they'd have a U.S. stock fund. And their availability to trade on that account took a paper form. Uh, most employers required that they could only do it a couple times a year to make investment changes, um, and the way we were paid was vastly different. It was all commissions back then, uh, and some of the young advisors may be shocked to hear me say this, but we were paid 4% commission on every single deposit that went into those variable annuity accounts. No trail commission, uh, no ongoing revenue stream. Uh, so a lot has changed since back then. Well, your company has certainly grown, and now you have three divisions. So if you could explain how CSI is set up, because it certainly influences your view of the business and where you see things going. Yeah, we have three divisions to our practice. We have a third-party administration firm. We have a wealth management uh, division, which is where I cut my teeth. And then we have our retirement plan consulting division. All three work in harmony together with our clients. We're not necessarily the TPA um, with all of our clients. Uh, it has to be the right fit for us to use them on the third-party administration side, which probably makes us uh, maybe somewhat unique. Uh, but, you know, before I got into the practice, I was uh, in sales uh, in Fortune 500 companies up in Chicago. So when I got into the wealth management business, it was pretty natural for me to want to work in a daytime activity. And I found that continuing to work with businesses would keep me kind of in that daytime activity. And so I gravitated over to retirement plans. And I was really fortunate because I had a couple key mentors um, at that time who were willing to come alongside me and teach me the business. Um, and both of them uh, were very successful in their own right, but the way they went about business was night and day different. Uh, I had a female mentor uh, who was all about relationships. And the first two thirds of every meeting was about family and kids and dogs and travel. And by the time she got to the last third of the meeting where we were talking about business, uh, you know, the client was so comfortable with her from a trust standpoint that it was very easy. Um, and then I had a male mentor who was my father, and uh, he was business first and, you know, approached everything with, you know, his knowledge and helping out the business and then was very relationship driven after there. 
And so it really taught me that you can view and do this business in a lot of different ways and still be very successful at it. I saw a tweet recently from, I think it was Carl Richards, where he said he used to think trust was built uh, by how much financial knowledge he has. And we all thought that early in the business, that our knowledge was the key for people to trust us because, man, am I smart and I can help you. And we were so excited. But as you mature, you realize trust is built even more by my knowledge of the client and understanding them, whether it's a 401k plan and it has to be their people that they're most concerned about or it's personal wealth management. It's understanding that person and connecting makes a, a big difference. So you've obviously seen that. I've seen that in the industry over the years. If someone was entering the 401k business today, right? you hired a new advisor and they're ready to come in and they want to work in the 401k business, what kind of advice would you give them? I think it goes back to that mentorship. Uh, at least in my experience, uh, that is one of the things that made me be able to be successful was to have somebody I could talk to, I could look up to, uh, who was willing to come alongside of me and teach me along the way. Uh, and if I was a young person starting in the business, I'd be looking for somebody uh, that was willing to, to take that position. I definitely think the environment has shifted where trying to be a solo advisor out there is just more and more challenging. And this isn't anything new. We know that that, that size and scale actually matter. And connecting with teams is uh, seems to be the way to go for a lot of people out there. And then those teams connecting with other teams. So the, the consolidation starts from the solo advisor joining the team and then those teams joining other ones. And, you know, it definitely changes over time. And uh, I think we've seen that on the 401k side as well. And I know you've talked about how you saw this shift over the years where it used to be about the plan sponsor, or that seemed to really be the priority in the conversations. But now that conversation is shifting towards the participant. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I agree with you. We, we have seen a big change in how the industry uh, views this business. I was thinking back you know, to our start because we started when there were pension plans and profit sharing plans. Um, and even back in those days, we conducted employee meetings uh, to educate about what the plan was about, how it worked. We worked with individuals on the wealth management side to help them make decisions as they got to retirement age uh, at that point. And, you know, as I look forward, I'm pretty excited that we're now starting to integrate those two together. So the plan sponsor side is still very critical. The fiduciaries, the fees, the right plan design. But I think having the participant side is equally as critical because the participants still need to make good decisions, not take hardship withdrawals, make right contribution elections, make good investment choices. And so it's marrying those two together, working with both the plan sponsor and the participant is how we view it going forward. So let's go out five or 10 years. The, the shift to the participant is on. And I love how you said it's helping them make good decisions. And thinking about 20 or 30 years from now, it's tough for a lot of participants. It's tough for a lot of people, period. Not everybody's goal-driven like that. So mm -hmm. we're really in the moment trying to help them make good decisions. How do you think the industry is going to do that five, 10 years from now? Or, or what are you doing with your company to really try to pave that road? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's marrying great technology with humans. Uh, so our record keepers, our financial wellness platforms have really important technology. Uh, and many times that will help the engagement initially. But what we've found is the participant will go on and use that tech. And then over time, it will decrease and they won't be using it nearly as much. And what our team has found is if we bring the human element and the advocacy side into it, 
we can keep the momentum going on keeping them engaged in the process. It takes both the plan sponsor and it takes somebody at the advisory team to bring that together. So advocacy, that's an intentional word. Can you define that, what that means to you? Yeah, uh, we actually use hashtag 401k advocacy on most of our social media uh, because we believe so strongly that we are an advocate for the plan sponsor and for the participant. But we equally believe that the plan sponsor is an important advocate and contributor. And I'll give you a couple examples of that. Uh, a couple of years ago, I was in a meeting. Um, we were about ready to do a new enrollment meeting with a group of employees. And I had a relatively new HR director that I hadn't spent as much time working with. And she got up and did the welcome. And one of her comments uh, before she turned it over to me was our 401k doesn't offer a matching contribution. So it's not very good, but we offer it. And here's Christy. <laughs> and it was very difficult for me at that point in time to be able to convince those employees that it was a valuable benefit that they should still be participating in regardless of the employer match. Um, and I think we had less than 20% of that room that year participate in the plan. So her comments, while I don't think she intended it to be um, dissuasion, uh, is what had actually happened. And so on the other side of it, uh, another story, um, I was meeting with a participant actually this week who's in his 30s. And he has a really nice account balance today and is doing a great job. And I had said to him, you know, I'm really pleased to see what you're doing. You're doing a great job. I'm like, somebody must have said something to you along the way to get you kind of where you are. And he said, actually two people. And he said, when I started my first job at age 18, I worked for a hardware store. And he said, I was full-time, uh, but I worked with a lot of part-time retired guys. And he said, a couple of them would pull me aside and say, you should be saving for retirement because I wish I would have. I wish I'd started sooner which I had taken it as more importance because I'm working today because I have to, not because I want to. He said that was one of them. And he said, then when I joined this company, he said the CFO came to me and said, if you can join our 401k at 10%, it would really benefit you and be great if you could afford to do so. And guess what, Ross? Guess how much he's saving in the 401k? 10%. 10%. So because two advocates from the employer said something to him, he'd make good decisions. So we believe strongly that the employer needs to be an advocate along with our advisory team. The two things you never hear from people who are going into retirement, or at least I have never heard, are I should have waited longer to save or I should have saved less money. And the opposite is what we hear regularly. I wish I started sooner. I wish I saved more when pretty much every single person that you talk to says that, it's probably true. And I think to pass that message along, it's helpful. And I love when we hear these stories because you find out that it's one or two conversations and that's all it took for that person to make the decision and then keep maintaining that decision throughout life. Uh, it, it's a game changer. And it really sounds that you're kind of taking on the role of being a cheerleader because you know it actually matters. Absolutely. So as you look out, we've got technology, we have decreasing margins. We would love to go one-on-one -on -one and be able to talk to people on a regular basis. As financial planners who do private wealth management, we know that those relationships are being squeezed, that your average investor out there, it's tough to have a one-on-one -on -one relationship and charge for it. So financial planners are moving up market. The same pressures are happening in all other industries and it's certainly happening in the 401k world. So 
how do you think we're going to get to the point where we can leverage technology with maybe the phrase is the least amount of human interaction to help that person make good decisions? And I guess I might challenge on that, Ross, um, because again, we think the human element is absolutely critical. Um, from a behavioral finance standpoint, um, we know that participants have good intentions, but they don't always follow through on their intentions. And at least what our team has found from all the research that we've done is that two things are really important. One is the affirmation. We have found that telling people that they're doing a good job, if they're saving in the plan, if they're making progress, affirming what they're doing, maybe they're not fully on track to retirement. And so many of them have come back and said to us, I didn't know I was doing a good job. I didn't know this was a good thing. It was good to hear that. The second thing our team has found is the accountability is really critical. Because if a participant says, yes, I'm gonna increase my contribution, I'm gonna update my beneficiary, I'm gonna change my investments, some action item that they said they're gonna do, is many times that action item doesn't happen unless we're working with them at that moment to make that change. And if they don't make it right then, it's the follow-up and circling back to say, you said these were some of your goals and objectives, how are you doing on them? What progress have you made? What do you still need to do to get to those goals? And we find with both of those things, we see really great action, which affects the positive outcome on the other side of it. So I think the human element's always gonna be a part of it. Um, and we're actually looking to find ways to interact more, not less with people in our plans. I totally agree on the human interaction. I know we need that. My concerns would be on the revenue model, mm -hmm. which I know a lot of companies are, are working through that, trying to figure it out. And uh, I love to ask people what their revenue model is and how they're charging for it. And almost every time I get the same response, well, here's what we're doing now, but we're still working on it because it's a challenge, right? We have to work through this. So what have you learned along the way with those one-on-one -on -one interactions and how you build it into how you charge and how you structure service for a plan? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think, I think the revenue question is ever evolving. Uh, we've seen, you know, as I mentioned, the trend from commission uh, to fees, um, now to some flat dollar arrangements or per participant arrangements. Um, and so we really look at each client situation individually to see what's right. But we think the interaction with the participant is so critical, it's included with all of our services that we offer. Our clients can upgrade those services by paying an additional cost for things like financial wellness programs or specific financial planning packages that they offer to their employees. And those are where we're bringing in some of the additional revenue stream. Do you think there'll be a lot more of that in the future or do you think it'll be a little more focused with only a smaller number of people? How do you think it's gonna play out? Gosh, I wish I knew the answer to that question. I didn't bring my crystal ball today. <laughs> and, and if I knew the answer to that question, it'd be an easy uh, decision. Uh, but I, we have seen an increase uh, among the employers that we're working with of trying to answer the question to how do we get our employees being financially successful and prepared for retirement. So they're asking more questions related to what services do we need to provide? what are available. And so we've seen an increase in financial planning and financial wellness conversations for sure. I remember the session at the Napa 401k summit many years ago on gamification. And I brought this up recently uh, on, on an interview that my first instinct when I read the title of the session was gamification, because I didn't know a lot about it at the time. And then I read the description and thought, oh, exactly, gamification. I, I gotta go to this session. 
because that's how the human brain works. We love it. We, we want our badges. We want our bells. We're all driven by that. The accountability and the cheerleading can happen in a technology platform also mm -hmm. needs the humor, human interaction as well. Uh, do you think the technology platform is being leveraged enough for that? Or do you think we'll have a lot more interaction where actions that the participants take will be driven by their phone, by a digital device, and then we kind of supplement that? Yeah, I, I think it's going to be a marrying of the two. I, I think the tools and the technology are going to be a critical, important part. They need to continually evolve and be updated to be realistic and timely and, uh, you know, as you indicated, continuing to gamify it. But I think the human element is stepping alongside. I don't know how many times somebody has said to me, hey, this is what it told me to do right here. Is this what I should do, Ross? And just, again, getting that affirmation that those are the right decisions. Many people are still looking to be able to talk to somebody about that. And that's always the challenge. We can, with technology, walk someone down a path and then say, do this. But when it's an important decision, they're going to want to talk to somebody else. Um, I can go through a kiosk and figure out what I want to eat and order it and maybe take a guess and I'm going to be okay with it. But if I'm making a financial decision that has significant implications, I don't want to trust in an area where I may not even understand half the words that are up on the screen. So that, that to me, that's always the challenge is, yes, we want to use technology, but this is intense. People are worried about this. They're afraid of losing money. They're afraid of not having enough or they're excited. They're, maybe they, they wanna make returns because they haven't made enough money in the past. So there's a lot of emotion involved here and the, they need a human who's gonna be objective. The, you know, the three things are knowledge, experience and objectivity. That, that's what advisors bring. That's why I got to have the human touch because I don't think the computer can really replace that part. I, I'm not sure that'll ever happen. Yeah, I agree. Well, I love where the industry is going. Uh, we are intentional in trying to include wellness. We're intentional in marrying technology and the human aspect and trying to find that balance of what can we do to help people make decisions and maintain margins? Because if the revenue model doesn't work, it really doesn't matter what we're doing. It's, it's going to end pretty soon. So we've, we've got to figure it out. Uh, but I know there's a lot of creative thinkers. There's a lot of uh, good firms out there that are innovating and thinking about it. And they want to change the industry. They want to make it better. But let's pivot to the last question. And that's going to be the magic wand question. And we won't talk about changing the industry, but if you could wave the magic wand and you could change anything in the world to make it a better place, what would you do? Yeah, it's a really broad question. Um, and I guess I will, I'll relate it to the retirement industry and something uh, that's come up again uh, with my clients is the top heavy test. Uh, that test on many occasions has hurt uh, a number of our small businesses. Uh, because they've had dramatic changes in their own business. They're going through business struggles at a time all of a sudden when they become top heavy and they've got required contributions to the plan that they can't afford to make. Uh, so if I had the if I had the magic wand, I would just wave away that uh, top heavy test. <laughs> that would be great. If people could save as much as they wanted to and uh, make a difference in their future, that would certainly be awesome. Christy, thanks so much for being on the show today. All right, glad to be here. Thanks, Ross. Thank you for listening to Outcomes. Subscribe now to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Advisor 2X. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service providers with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. 
Shaping Change by Ross Marino and Susan Bradley. Well, I've really lived the whole theme of the book. Any advisor will tell you they've seen clients go through this where they have plans one day, you wake up the next day, and the plan is practically scrapped because now life happened and the plans need to change. Get your copy of Shaping Change by visiting shapingchangebook.com.